0: I invite you to open with me to the book of Exodus. should be able to find the book of Exodus somewhere around page 71, if I remember right, in the Bible, underneath the seat in front of you. If you're a guest with us and do not have a copy of God's Word, we'd love for you to take one of those home with you uh, so that you can learn more about Jesus Christ, whom we'll be Speaking about today during this service. Uh, But for everyone else, we're going to be turning our attention to Exodus chapter 15, and we're going to begin a series of sermons where we study the songs of Moses in the Bible. Today, we'll see the first of those in Exodus chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Moses writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authorities of Jesus Christ himself, we're here speaking to us today. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils... Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, whom we know as Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would help us now in this time as we turn our attention to your word. Your Word is truth. It is a light unto our feet, and it is a lamp unto our path. And we ask that you would help us to see that path more clearly today as we read and study your Word. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege to be able to read the Scripture out loud, that we have the opportunity to be able to gather here without fear of persecution. So now, as we give our attention to your Word, we ask, Father, that you would help us to focus. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, the mighty friend of sinners. Amen. Sometimes God's works are so great they require a song. But the Bible isn't a song book, is it? But perhaps you might be surprised to learn today that there are over 185 songs in the Bible. Battles, coronations, funerals, cities being attacked, and seas splitting up. You can find songs for all types of occasions in the Bible. Granted, 150 of those songs are in the book of Psalms, which is actually a songbook written by Israelite leaders over many centuries. And six more of those songs are found in two other songbooks in the Bible, the Song of Solomon and Lamentations. But after that, you can find about 30 more songs, chants, dirges, and hymns scattered across the Old and New Testaments. But what if I told you that some of those songs, like the one that we're studying today, Celebrate God's act of judgment. Many of us, if we're honest, can barely stomach the idea of God's divine judgment. We believe the Bible genuinely to be the Word of God. We acknowledge rightly God's righteous wrath and judgment, while most of us try to avoid the subject for the rest of the time. In a way, we simply tolerate God's judgment, and our instinct is to ignore it, because at bottom we are embarrassed by it, we're terrified because of it. So the idea that we might actually celebrate God's act of judgment is almost unimaginable to us, much less the thought that we might celebrate it with a song. And yet that is precisely what, verse 1, Moses and the people of Israel did in Exodus 15 as they sang this song to the Lord because of for what He has done for them in the past and will do for them in the future, because participating in the praise of God leads to trust in the promises of God. That sentence will frame our time together in our study of this song, the first of four songs of which are called the Songs of Moses in the Bible. Now, I want to show you this very quickly because we're going to study these four songs over the course of the next few weeks. So if you have your Bible, I want you to look at verse 15, and you see just that subject heading that is there, but notice how we see it coming together. The Song of Moses Then Moses and the people of Israel, verse 1, sorry, I said verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song. Now I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 31, and you see this second song of Moses in the Bible. Another subject heading, Deuteronomy 31, right before verse 30. And we see once again the people of Israel singing the song of Moses. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Now I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 90. Nearing the end of the book of Psalms, the people of Israel are probably in exile at this point. And here we find... Yet another psalm, but before verse 1, we have a superscript telling us a little bit about this song which is in the book of Psalms, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, a prayer that is a song like many of the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings. Now, I want you to turn with me to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now we see in the Bible, four songs, all called the song of Moses, in four different books, four different genres, all celebrating God's act of deliverance for His people, all of them reminding us of The celebration that surrounds the people of God as they celebrate his acts of judgment being poured out. Prophet and worship leader, from the first song in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 15, to the last song in the Bible, Revelation 15, Moses' songs teach us that participating in the praise of God leads to trust in the promises of God. Notice first, participating in the praise of God. We're going to look again with me in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. And just a moment, you can turn back there now, participating in the praise of God. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The opening verse captures the essence and the context of the entire song for Moses. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The point of the song is to magnify the wonderful work of God displayed from chapter 7, verse 8, all the way to the end of chapter 14, verse 31, from plagues afflicting their enemies... To the parting of water, delivering them from those enemies. Because only God's saving deeds can inspire this type of triumphant praise. The Lord is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. He is both the reason for and the content of their singing. It is all about the Lord from the beginning to the end of this song, teaching us something about the type of song that we should sing. And we see it over and over again in the song. Just look at all of the references to God. Chapter 15, verse 1, the Lord saying, chapter 15, verse 1 again, I will sing to the Lord. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength. Verse two later. This is my God. At the end of verse two, my father's God. Verse three, the Lord is a man of war. Again in verse three, the Lord is his name. Verse six, your right hand, O Lord. Again in verse six, your right hand, O Lord. Then verse 11, who is like you, O Lord. Then over in verse 17, you will bring them down the place, O Lord, for which you have made your abode. And then again in verse 17, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Verse 18, the Lord will reign. Then in verse 19, the Lord brought back the waters upon them. And then verse 21, sing to the Lord. From the beginning to the end, this song is all about the Lord and the context for this first song in the Bible happens to be one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, the Exodus. With an army behind them, in an ocean before them, God parts the Red Sea, allowing his children to pass on dry ground, escaping Pharaoh's military. But when the Egyptians pursue those people, God shuts that sea and washes away the chariots and the horsemen, and the song tells us that he has triumphed gloriously over the horse and the rider that he has thrown into the sea. Something that he does not want the people to forget, as he mentions the sea over and over again throughout the song in verses 4, 8, 5 and 10. So now Moses leads the people of Israel in this song of praise to God because verse 3 the Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. They sing in Exodus 15 because God has done a miracle, rescuing his people from an enemy far bigger and far stronger than them, parting the Red Sea for them, and destroying Egypt's army precisely where Israel walked through safely on dry ground. And the song tells us that he did it all. Effortlessly. Look at verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, they were drowned in the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. The song tells us exactly how God did it. He tosses them aside into the water and demolishes their military. As they sink into the sea like pebbles, it is also amazing that they say that the God who created by words defeats verse six his enemies with a breath. Look at verse seven. "At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Verse 10, "You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters." Waves don't pile up. Floods don't simply hold back. Seas do not stand still. Unless the song tells us God blows his nose. He drove back miles of raging water with a breath. Friends, has there ever been a more stunning picture of God's salvation? When God's people were literally backed up against the Red Sea, and they could see Pharaoh's army advancing and coming toward them, when they seemed trapped... And there's a collective panic among the people when they were told that there was nothing to do because Exodus chapter 14 verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Then the angel of God moved between them and the host of Egypt as God stepped forward to shield his people. Look to the verses that we read earlier in the service. Chapter 14 verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. The Lord comes to protect His people by putting Himself in the middle of them, to protect them from their aggressors. As the soldiers and chariots press God's people from behind, while the sea rages before them, and they're lodged between two two different types of death, suddenly even more aware of their own weakness and desperation, unable to flee and unable to fight. Escape, Escape is improbable. Captivity is inevitable. Victory is inconceivable. God simply pulls back the waves like a curtain and quite literally blew their enemies away. Verse 21 of chapter 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove "'backed the sea by a strong east wind all night "'and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. "'And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea "'on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them "'on their right and their left.' The Egyptians pursued and went in after them, into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, and in the morning watched the Lord and the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. No longer are the people panicking. The Egyptians are panicking, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily, and the Egyptians said, "Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." "'Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Stretch out your hand over the sea, "'that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, "'upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. "'So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, "'and the sea returned to its normal course "'when morning appeared, "'and the Egyptians fled into it, "'and the Lord threw the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. "'The waters returned and covered the chariots "'and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh "'that had followed them into the sea. "'Not one of them remained. "'The Lord brought them to the precipice of despair.' in order to show them the smallness of the sea and the insignificance of the soldiers that were next to them. Soldiers the song describes as God's enemies. Look in verse 7. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, verse 9. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy. Twice Pharaoh and his army are called the enemy in verse, verse 6 and verse 9. But in verse 7, they are described as God's adversary, not the adversary of the people of Egypt. Adversaries of God and people familiar with the story of Exodus know why. Because in each and every brick of this amazing and advanced civilization was laid by slaves. Hundreds and thousands of slaves, decade after decade, century after century, slaves who just so happened to be God's chosen people, the book of Exodus teaches us. Over 430 years, they built Pharaoh two store cities in chapter 1, verse 11 Python and Ramses. Their civilization and everything about it was built on the backs of God's enslaved people. Eleven times in scripture, Egypt is called the house of slavery. But they were not merely a house of slavery. They were a harsh house of slavery. If you have your Bible, turn with me to chapter 6, verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Beaten by their Egyptian taskmasters, chapter 2, verse 11. And oppressed and afflicted with heavy burdens while their children are being cast into the Nile River. They lose the will to live. They no longer have a desire for freedom. So we can see. Why Moses and the people of Israel would burst into song when God took action against his arrogant adversaries, the enemy of his people, because they had finally begun to learn something of who the God of Abraham is. Their God is, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, the Lord unlike anyone else among the gods. He is, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, the one who is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, and there is no one like him. He is the one who stretched out his right hand and the earth swallowed his adversaries. He alone is all powerful. Pharaoh looked mighty, but he was not. Their adversaries looked strong, but they were not. It looked bleak in all areas of their life, but God showed himself to be greater and more powerful, stronger and more magnificent than anything that they had ever seen or faced. The Lord's deeds inspired enormous confidence in God's people and Moses, confidence informed by his wondrous works. Confidence that inspired this song about the mercies of God that are fresh on their mind when they boldly claim that God is their strength, and God is their song, and God is their salvation, ensuring their deliverance from bondage, because He has triumphed gloriously, not them. They praise God, the man of war, for all of it, and they don't cringe because of it. They're not embarrassed by God's judgment now. They celebrate God's judgment with this song to the Lord and participating in the praise of God leads them to trust in God's promises. Notice second, trusting in the promises of God. Look with me in verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength, your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your holy mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. The song actually builds a bridge, a bridge from the praise of God to the promises of God by reminding participants in praise of verse 13, God's steadfast love. God's steadfast love, his covenant love for the people that he has redeemed, as the song transitions from the past and defeated enemy, Egypt, to the present and future yet-to-be-encountered enemy in Canaan. Verse 14. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pains have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. trembling and seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. All of the southern regions where Israel will first encounter enemies when they invade Canaan. The song is actually bragging on the Lord's power as it anticipates now in the future how God will deal with his enemies because of how God has dealt with his enemies in the past. They have confidence for what God will do in the future because of what God has done in the past defeating and conquering their enemies. And now this, uh, this song teaches us that terror and dread, verse 17, fall upon those enemies because of the greatness of God's arm. They are still a stone until the Lord pass, brings his people and they pass by. God's demonstration of his wrath toward the Egyptians makes known his steadfast love to his people and it gives them confidence as they move forward into the future. So they may patiently wait even as they endure mistreatment for a time because in the end the song teaches us what they are prone to forget and we are all prone to forget. That the execution of God's love will lead to the Judgment of God's enemies as he works out the fulfillment of his covenant promises for them. Promises that they probably did not think would ever be fulfilled during long centuries of slavery. Promises that Moses reminds them of right now. Verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. The God who comes near to them in the Exodus will bring them safely home to the place where he will reign forever and ever. So Moses and all of the people, Miriam, the prophetess, and all of the women rejoice in God's mighty act in salvation history. Verse 19. When the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And they celebrate God's act of judgment in song, verse 21. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he is thrown into the sea. The song is building a bridge for the people. A bridge... From the praises of God to the promises of God that are yet to be realized and will be realized in the future in Canaan and at the end of all things, at the final judgment. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me now to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. More blood flows in the pages of Revelation than anywhere else in the Scripture. And yet, if we go back and we read and reread the book of Revelation... One of the defining things that we see in the book of Revelation is not how long the millennium will be, or when the millennium will happen, or will God's people be taken before or after it. But one of the defining things that we will see when we read the book of Revelation is that the people of God are praising God. One of the defining things the book of Revelation teaches us is that the people of God will praise God for all of eternity. Worship is the theme of the book of Revelation Chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 16. Their joy in God overflows in praise for God for all of eternity. As God's horrific judgments fall one after another on the wicked, the torments of the damned do not diminish the praise of God's people. In fact, God's judgments inspire their praise. They rejoice in the book of Revelation because they know themselves to be the recipients of His grace. They rejoice in the book of Revelation, precisely because His justice descends on those who endure in their rebellion against their Maker. They rejoice in the book of Revelation, because they finally see with clear eyes what they have been prone to doubt for a long time, that God will act for His people. Like the people in the book of Exodus, they celebrate God's judgment because God has spared them when they did not deserve it. So when the clouds are rolled back and we peek into heaven in the book of Revelation, we actually see God's martyrs, his people, saying things like this in chapter 6, verse 10. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And we hear angelic calls to worship because the hour of his judgment has finally come. And we sing another song of Moses in which all of the saints of God's people finally proclaim in chapter 15, All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. And the worship of the heavenly host commends the justice of God for his judgments. In chapter 16, verses 5 and 6 in this way. Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Heaven's praise throughout the book of Revelation culminate in Revelation 18 and 19 with the final destruction of the wicked. And there, as we read of the final destruction of the wicked, God's judgment displays his might for the watching eyes of his worshiping people. The destruction of his enemies, as the people say in chapter 18, verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. His judgment of them is for his people. Divine judgment against the wicked is for you, believer. But the climactic moment comes in chapter 19, verse 1. Read it with me now. Revelation, chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride he has made for himself is ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linens of the righteous deeds of the saints. At the height of God's judgment, his people break forth into hallelujahs, worships and praise. The only four times it's mentioned in the book of Revelation. Chapter verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, verse 6. Why hallelujah now as people are being judged and tormented? Because God's people praise Him for the judgment through which He saves them. Because the day is coming when the people of God will rejoice in His judgment that has fallen on the wicked. And they will then see that they will no longer experience torment and shame. In fact, the horrors of those judgment will not spoil the celebration of Jesus' bride because they will be spared the judgment that they deserve and vindicated for their belief in him, for their belief in his Christ. Believers, we look at Exodus 15, the first song in the Bible, and Revelation, the last song in the Bible. We see that we are to give thanks and to celebrate because we learned something about ourselves from the first song to the last song, that we were actually no different than the Egyptians. If you actually go back and read through the book of the, uh, Exodus, specifically the plagues, one of the things that you'll see is that in the climactic plague, the final act, when God is judging the firstborn, the people of Israel, just like the Egyptians, had to do something. They had to slaughter a lamb for them and take that blood and cover the doorpost and stay inside the house. And if they did not do that, slaughter the lamb and cover the doorpost with blood, they too would be judged like the Egyptians. If they did not follow what God had laid out for them, they too would experience the wrath of God that they deserved. And in so doing, they learned something about themselves, that though the Egyptians were evil and wicked, had enslaved people, they too were sinful and needed God's God's vindication, and they needed to be saved from God's judgment. Actually, the song of Moses in Exodus 15 teaches us that they had to be purchased and redeemed, Purchased by his mighty acts of deliverance. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. So that they would be spared the judgment that they deserved. The judgment that the Egyptians experienced. An unbeliever, if you're here today. The mighty acts of God from Exodus to Revelation teach us that you should fear and terror. And that you should repent. Because you are not unlike the Egyptians. They weren't innocent and neither are you. One of the difficult things about reading through the Exodus is that we lose sight of all of the horrible things that the people of Egypt are doing. But as we go back and carefully read through the book of Exodus, we see that the Egyptians were not otherwise nice people who were otherwise innocent, otherwise carrying out their lives in very normal ways. They were wicked people who deserved the judgment of God. God spared some and judged others because their sin had separated them from God. And on account of their sin, the wrath of God was coming. Friends, their sin separated them from God. And on account of their sin, the wrath of God was coming. Your sin has separated you from God. And on account of your sin, the wrath of God is coming. And if you do not do what God requires in his word, you too will experience the judgment of God. And what does the scripture teach us is the judgment of God. That people who have not trusted in his Christ will experience judgment, horror, wrath for all eternity separated from him because they have not pleaded the blood of his lamb, Jesus Christ. From the first song in the Bible to the last song in the Bible, we see that God is redeeming some for himself and judging all who are not innocent because there are none who are innocent. From the first song to the last song in the Bible, we see that the people of God are actually celebrating God's judgment because in, in that celebration, they are reminded that they too deserve judgment And they are reminded that they have been uh, spared from that judgment and that they are now able to experience the fulfillment of all of his promises because they have come close to him in covenant relationship through the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. Friend, if you are here and you are not a believer, we call you today to trust in the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins and plead the blood of Christ and you will be forgiven of your sins. And if you have questions about that, we would love to open the Bible with you and talk to you more about how you too can be spared of the judgment of God. These songs point us to a greater future exodus, not only on the cross, but also of Christ's return where God's judgment will come completely and justly on all of his enemies and God's people will be fully and finally delivered. So as the people of God stood along the shores of the Red Sea, everything must have seemed surreal. Surreal. It must have been breathtaking. For generations, they have been a harried and a harassed people. For generations, they have been an enslaved people who were mistreated and afflicted. For generations, they have been born into slavery and watched their children be born into slavery. They have been oppressed and mistreated all of their lives. Not long before this song, that army is coming against them, charging at them furiously, throwing them into a panic frenzy. And then they see what they do not expect to see. God acting on their behalf to save them. And Moses, the servant of God, reassured them, the people of God, that they would never again see the Egyptians, the enemy of God, because God was going to be faithful to his promises. God delivered them from their foes. And friends, he will deliver us from ours. The great foe, Satan, and sin and death itself. Moses' song declares God's glorious act of redemption. He has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. The Lord has flexed his muscles, and Israel's enemies have experienced swift destruction. And this resulted in an exuberant amount of praise from the people because they were finally free. So old and young, men and women, gathered together to the praise of God, how else could they respond? Because only God could act in that way. Friends, we see in the songs of Moses what we are to sing about. The salvation of God and the judgment of God coming upon God's enemies. But when we avoid the judgment of God, we miss significant facets of who God is. No one has their heart warmed by thinking of unbelieving people being tormented for all eternity. And yet, If we follow God's revelation of himself to us in the scripture, many of us will find the promises of God more wonderful and the redemption of God more beautiful and the praise of God more willing in our lives when we consider the judgment that is poured out on the wicked that will not be poured out on us. The doctrine of hell and the reality of judgment makes the doctrine of salvation and the substitution of Christ sweeter for the people of God. The reality of eternal pain makes our praise in the present more joyful and more worshipful because we realize what we have been spared in Christ. Because we, like these people, will triumph with God. Even now, the great general of heaven, Jesus Christ, the divine warrior, has descended. And he has vanquished our greatest and ultimate enemy, sin, Satan, and death. He has routed them in his death and resurrection to the point that the apostle Paul would say he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Through Christ's death and resurrection, God has defanged death. We do not need to fear it. He has smashed and shattered sin and no longer has a hold on us. And he has utterly defeated Satan He can no longer accuse us. In Christ, we are set free. Therefore, the events of the Exodus still inspire confidence in the people of God. Because in all of our shakiness, it teaches us that God is our strength. And when we are facing sorrow and sadness and enslavement and pain, He is our song. And when we are confronted with death, He is our salvation. God is faithful to his promises and he is fearful in his wrath. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Which is why our praise will never end. In the book of Revelation that we were reading from, the apostle John gives us a sneak preview in what will happen at the consummation of all things. Our redemption will continue to inspire praise for God for all of eternity. Outbursts of praise from God's people to God for all of eternity. On the other side of death, on the other side of despair, we will awake and we will continue to sing the song of Moses. And as Martin Luther said, music is one of the most delightful and magnificent gifts the Lord has given to us because it points us heavenward. Friends, the great acts of God's judgment... Don't simply make us look at judgment, but they actually point us forward, not only to the day when he will judge all wrong things, but the day when we will be vindicated, which is why in just a few moments we will sing the song that we are going to sing not only at the end of this service, but at the end of every sermon in this series as we study the songs of Moses, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand. As we remind ourselves now what we will do for all of eternity, we will sing and we will praise God for his redemption. Believer, God's great act of judgment should stir our hearts to give thanks from what we have been spared. An unbeliever who is present with us today, God's great acts of judgment should cause terror and fear, inciting you to repent of your sin and turn to Christ in faith. And we invite you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that the reality of your judgment would inspire our praise as your people, and the reality of your judgment would incite the repentance of those who are not your people. Father, for those who are here today who are your people, we ask that you would give us a renewed vigor in our singing that we would sing the great songs of deliverance as we declare your praise together. And for those who are here with us who are not your believers, Father, we ask that today they would hear the voice of the Son of God calling out to them in the scripture, that they would see the terror that will fall on the people who are not your people, that they would be provoked to repent of their sin and trust in your Christ by faith, the mighty warrior who has come and who has conquered the Lamb. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?